With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good to be back. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair for a third straight season. On this episode, it's time for 1-24 to pre-season predictions for the EFL's naughty middle child, that is League One. I'm Ali Maxwell, I've got George Ellick with me. George, League One last year, pretty tough at the top. Sheffield Wednesday, Ipswich and Champions Argyle getting 96 points, 98 points and 101 points respectively. Can everyone else have some fun now? What what have they left behind? I think, and I'm fairly bullish on this, this League One campaign is a huge opportunity for a lot of clubs to win a promotion to the championship. <laughs> I mean, if, if you think the standard of this league over the last few seasons has been pretty high because we've had Ipswich passing through, we've had Sheffield Wednesday passing through, Sunderland, of course, previously to that. We're used to having normally every other season a Rotherham coming down and blitzing the league. This time around, not only have we lost two more Sharks in Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday, and Argyle side who got over 100 points and the season before that were very good as well. But you've also got Wigan coming down with a minus eight point deduction, Reading coming down with some serious off-field issues. I really strongly believe the quality and, and some of the teams who performed very well last season, I think there is clear reason to think there will be a drop-off in terms of their performance levels. I think there are very few sides in League One who had good seasons last year and you can be confident will progress into this season and that opens up massive opportunity. It also makes it very hard to predict, which is a shame. But I wouldn't be put off. If there's a club in League in League One who you think you know, could go very well and in your head that means maybe they could be on the fringe of the playoffs. There's not much to stop a, a side who had a lowly finish last season from progressing right up towards the top end of the table, in my view. A league of opportunity for a lot of teams, let's say last season, who didn't feel like there was much opportunity for them at the top of League One. We think maybe that there is now. Um, thanks for choosing to listen to us today. And thank you to Betfair for getting back on the wagon for a third year of what's been an amazing partnership for us. The pod schedule is sturdy and it is timeless. No changes here, which hopefully is good news for regular veteran listeners of Not The Top 20. Mondays, Thursdays, same as always, you'll get around 90 episodes from us covering the EFL as best we can, as you have done for years now. And also NTT20.com, the EFL newsletter by NTT20. If you're someone who is interested in the, in the EFL, you are going to want this in your life. So if you enjoy the 1-24 to podcast, do us a favour, head to NTT20.com, stick your email address in the box and you can sign up either initially as a free subscription or straight into a paid subscription at an early bird price. Uh, we're going to start at the bottom of League One. As George mentioned, there's a few genuine existential issues among more than one League One club 
Um, we're starting with a team who we have in 24th, and that's Reading. Uh, Reading were relegated from the championship last season, thanks mainly to a points deduction that they received. Reading have had an absolutely disastrous few years uh, on the pitch, a steady decline off the pitch, an incredibly troubling decline, which stems from those at the top of the club. Firstly, before I talk about anything, I want to point you in the direction of a fan group that's been set up in the last few months called Sell Before We Die. Uh, D-A-I, that is a reference to the owner, Dai Yong, who the fans are calling to sell the club because... How many times in the last few years have Reading fallen foul of the EFL, fallen foul of HMRC, acted in a way that makes us and fans hugely concerned for the sheer existence of the club in the long term and, less important but still relevant, chipped away at the actual football team to the extent that by the time they were relegated, they were a horrendous championship team with no identity, with no continuity in the squad, with a group of players that had really had, you have to say, very little support. And they dropped down into League One. Now, they actually haven't had a points deduction, unlike Wigan. And they did sign four players, Harvey Nibs, Lewis Wing, Charlie Savage and Sam Smith. Since those signings, they're very much back deep in the woods because they've been placed under another embargo due to a late payment uh, to HMRC. So there is a fear of many things. There's fear of a points deduction coming at some point if they can't get their house in order. There has been reports in the last day or two that some of the players that they signed recently, which they desperately need to build a squad that could be in any way competitive, may not even be allowed to be registered to play or available to play until they get their house in order. Reading were a poor team last season. Their sheer existence is under threat. On the football side, right now, with what I've just said about the some of the transfers potentially not even being able to be registered, with Sam Smith, one of four additions, picking up a quad injury that is reported to be keeping him out for some time, um, the squad is tiny. And there's a bunch of huge question marks within it outside of a couple of players like Tom Holmes, Tom McIntyre, Andy Yeardom, and a couple of others. You know, those are the guys, Holmes and McIntyre, that may, if cash flow is a continued concern, that may need to be sold in order to raise funds. So, unfortunately, I don't think Reading are out of the woods yet. And it's desperately frustrating and sad and infuriating to be sitting here talking about this once again for what feels like the third or fourth year in a row, talking about Reading on our 1-24s to in the relegation zone down to almost entirely off-field issues that have impacted this football club. George, they got Ruben Sellers in charge and you can't help but feel a little bit sorry for a man that's got an incredible footballing background to get to the point where he was in at Southampton, first team coach, took them in the Premier League as caretaker until the end of the season and now wants to step out on his own. What a situation to walk into. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that he took the job in the first place. Um, it was a surprise. You know, we saw the the long saga around Chris Wilder's appointment that felt like it was imminent for a while and ended up not going through for, for whatever reason, which in itself would have been an incredible appointment given the issues that were evident off the pitch. In Sellers, they've got a guy who, you know, he's been a caretaker manager at Premier League level. Um, Southampton weren't particularly 
good under Sellers, I wouldn't say. You know, they, they pressed very aggressively. And I think that's the one thing we can take from that side. When you've got Andy Carroll playing up front for you and you go out and recruit a manager who's obsessed with pressing, it doesn't really feel like the most joined up thinking, especially when you were close to appointing Chris Wilder before that. Like, it, it doesn't seem like there's necessarily a plan here at Reading. And, you know, it, it might be a bit of a leap for some Reading fans. And I know that Reading fans are obviously very pessimistic about the club at the moment, and understandably so. I guess pessimism for them might seem like a, a 16th or 17th place finish would be poor. But at this stage, where we're sitting right now, you know, we're recording this on Sunday the 30th of July, local reports are that the players that they have signed won't be available to play in the opening game of the season against Peterborough. So Lewis Wing and Charlie Savage not available. Sam Smith has got a long-term injury. The squad is incredibly threat- threadbare and thin with a manager with little, you know, knowledge for us to go off thinking that he's going to be a positive for them um it's a it's a complete and utter mess right now and i think to assume that things are going to get better at reading you have to be taking a leap of faith rather than basing it on any tangible evidence whatsoever and therefore from where we are right now things might change very quickly look let's hope that we look very very stupid in a few weeks time and there's a new owner at the club who's able to reinvest we've seen it happen at Wigan over the last couple of months where a, a local owner's come in, has managed to retain key assets on long-term contracts. We've seen it previously at Derby as well. And you look at the Swindon. situation there in Swindon too, like it can happen quickly as well. But from where we're sitting at this current moment in time, you have to ignore Reading's recent championship history and look at what is a threadbare squad with little quality and little sign of a way out. Above Reading in 23rd, a team that just about stayed up last season George, a manager that we love very, very much, but who we think has a very tough job on his hands. Cambridge United in 23rd. Yeah, I find it really hard to find any reason to be positive about Cambridge right now beyond Mark Bonner. Um, I think it's it's pretty telling that last season it felt for a time like Bonner's job was really hanging by a thread and it felt like they became fairly close to sacking him before he managed to instigate the return to form that led them out of the relegation zone. But when you consider that it went down to final day, that they went into final day still heavily odds-on to get relegated, just about stayed up. Sam Smith, Harvey Nibs, Joe Ironside, Alfie Jones and Dimitar Mitov. I would say their five best players have all left the club since then. And in terms of additions, it's hard to make a case for any of the additions being on a on a similar playing field or a similar level to them. You know, Gassan Habme has shown glimpses at times that he is a capable striker at this level, but in Smith, I think they've lost one of the best all-round strikers in the league. Sully Kaikai, again, flashes the talent without doing it uh, regularly. I mean, I'd love to see Jack Stevens return to form in, in Mitov's place, but that feels like a massive downgrade where Stevens has been una- unable to keep his place at Oxford, went out on loan to Port Vale last season, lost his place again. You know, Danny Andrews' addition from, or his arrival from Fleetwood will add some decent set-piece delivery, but that's as far as we're going. And for me, the, the biggest concern is that Mark Bonner is going to be judged on whether he can keep Cambridge up. I think he will really struggle with this squad. I think it's likely that Bonner will eventually leave Cambridge this season and that will send them into a spiral because I think it's going to be very hard for them to find someone who can do better than that. But at the end of the day, it's normally the manager that pays the price. So given the the, the players that have left and seemingly the inability, because normally when you lose players to that ability or that quality you get something back for them, but they've all left on free transfers. There's nothing in the way of of money being recouped by Cambridge. 
they're snookered a bit here. And I think if Bonner can do it again, then that will be one of the best jobs of the season if the, if the squad remains as, as it is. Yeah, quite a big drop for the team we got in 22nd spot. Exeter City finished in 14th last season, uh, having started really, really well in their first season back in League One, flew out the traps under Matt Taylor after coming second in League Two in the 21-22 season, looked absolutely excellent. Uh, Matt Taylor then went to Rotherham and Gary Caldwell was appointed and things didn't drop off incredibly dramatically. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Exeter were a relegation standard team in the second half of the season under Gary Caldwell. But I would say that standards dropped a little bit on the pitch and that the team stopped trending upwards and sort of banked a little bit and then maybe just started to drop a little bit, in my opinion, in terms of what they were putting together on the pitch. Now, the reason we got them in the relegation zone, the reason that we're much more concerned than maybe I would have thought at the start of the summer is that they've lost some very, very important players for them. Giovanni Brown missed a portion at the end of last season due to a court case. He has moved to Bristol Rovers. Of course, he wasn't part of the squad for the last few months of the season. When he was playing, he was contributing a lot to Exeter going forward. Uh, Josh Key, the right wing back, has been a really, really good addition for them over the last few years. Joins Swansea, which speaks to his quality. Archie Collins has joined Peterborough United, which speaks to his quality and what an important part of their midfield he's been for the last few years. Jay Stansfield was a brilliant forward player, didn't always plunder a ton of goals, but the work he did out of possession in particular was huge for Exeter at the top end of the pitch. And Sam Nombe, the goal getter, well, he's still there, but not without rumour swirling around him because of his quality, because of what he showed that he offered last season with that speed and the goal-scoring ability. There are a lot of teams in for Sam Nombe and it'll be difficult for Exeter to hold those teams off. Now, it's a, we were a little bit confused, George, because uh, Ethan Ampadu was sold to Leeds for quite a lot of money in this summer. There'd been a much-discussed sell-on fee for Exeter, having been the team that developed Ethan Ampadu and gave him his, his first steps in football. Um, and so it is a little surprising to see that those players that they've added this summer, well, Reese Cole and Vincent Harper come from non-league straight into League One, and you have to think they may need a bit of time to adapt. Jack Aitchison is an OK pickup, in my opinion, uh, but nothing sensational. Dion Rankin on loan from Chelsea making his first steps in senior football could be a, a fantastic loanee from Elite Academy. May take some time to get going. Basically, I hate the fact that I'm worried about this because I really want more clubs to be owned by the fans and run in an incredibly sensible, safety-first way with long-term success and stability at the forefront of their decision-making. But unfortunately, on the short term... On the footballing side, you have to be concerned with the window that they've had and maybe with the whether or not they actually have the money to replace any of the big names that they've lost. Difficult situation, I think, for us. The jury on Gary Caldwell, the manager, is still very much out. I'm not sure either of us are entirely convinced that he is going to be able to handle things if, as we think, this squad looks suddenly pretty weak indeed. A lot of late business maybe on the cards for Exeter City, but as we sit here on Sunday the 30th of July, we're worried so much so that we got Exeter in the bottom four relegated in 22nd. George, 21st. <laughs> I like that we've, we've already date stamped this podcast twice. I might just keep saying every point I make just so they know that it can change. Every breath you take. Every move you make. They'll be watching you. Cheltenham relegated in 21st. Why? 
Well, it's it's Sunday the thirtieth of July. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with it's kind of similar, I guess, with Exeter, where when you have clubs such as Cheltenham, you know, if we think back to where Cheltenham were when Mike Duff took over a few years ago, they were languishing in fifteenth or sixteenth in League Two, without any real expectation to become a League One side, and then and now Championship manager kind of took them on his own career path and then left them in a decent position in in League One. But when you consider who the kind of protagonists were of that team, of that side, of of that run, they've basically all gone. You know, whether it's Duff as the manager, whether it's Mickey Moore, who is the director of football who brought Duff in and, and, you know, would have had a big part in recruitment, who's now Shrewsbury Town director of football as of this summer, whether it's Alfie May, who is the goal scorer who has been you know basically spearheaded the survival push the promotion and survival push of, of Cheltenham over the last couple of years he's now moved on to Charlton whether it's Willie Boyle who was the, the the key centre-back in that promotion season who went to Huddersfield and now at Wrexham even the likes of Charlie Raglan you know these are the players who took them there and slowly and surely they've been picked off without any real replacements being you know because it's very hard for a, for a club of Cheltenham size to find the players necessary and that normally results in a drop back to to League Two and it kind of feels like this is the season where that might happen. Uh, Wade Elliott you know did a very good job last season in terms of it was a hard one to take on off the back of Duff's reign but managed to keep them safe and and did so very comfortably Um, so he deserves some credit there. They brought in Curtis Davis to centre-back which I think is a a fair move given the inexperience that kind of runs through the squad at this time. I don't really see how they've replaced the goals of May. You know, Rob Street has come in, who's a very, very different kind of striker to May. And I think that taking that ingenuity in the final third out was going to be difficult for them to replace. Um, you know, it's it seems hard for me to understand why, as, you know, the key players in Chantry's success leave, why they wouldn't revert back to where they were before Duff came. And that's what I'm expecting to see this season. Excited for Aidan Keener to step up and be the main man after a really impressive uh, last few months of the season as foil to uh, Alfie May, but a lot of work to do for Cheltenham and for Wade Elliott. Yeah, it's interesting this. Um, Reading were 11-2 to to get relegated with a Betfair Sportsbook. I think there has maybe, as is often the case, there's a bit of a disconnect between what Reading have done, how they're perceived by the wider public and what is actually going on at the club. Otherwise, we have Cheltenham, who are 7-4 for relegation, uh, Cambridge are 9-4 for relegation, and Exeter 4-1. to one. So we are very much ignoring those at the top end of the market, Cheltenham the shortest price. I was going to say we can move on with a bit more positivity, but the team in 20th, there's not a lot of positivity. And frustratingly, I'm going to be talking about off-field matters again. It is the worst part of... What we do talking about the EFL, but it is a highly necessary and very impactful part if you are um, trying to work out what teams will be like and how they will fare on the pitch this season. Fleetwood Town, we have in 20th spot. And we have to start with the fact that Fleetwood Town's owner, Andy Pilly, has been jailed for 13 years for an incredibly wide-ranging and lengthy and complex fraud. So Andy Pilly... Uh, is in prison and there's not a lot of clarity on what comes next for Fleetwood Town Football Club. Andy Pilly tried to transfer ownership of the club into his children's names on Company's House. The EFL took a pretty dim view of that and told him that that was not possible, so that was reversed. 
as we record right now, Sunday, the 30th of July, famously, there is so little clarity on what exactly comes next, whether it would be fine and keep ticking along or whether it could be massively impactful on this football club going forward. Worth reminding anyone listening of the uh, recent or not so recent history of Fleetwood Town Football Club. Andy Pilly bankrolled the whole recent history and success of this club from the ninth tier of English football to the third tier in two decades of consistent upwards trajectory. It is a, a club with an average attendance, if you take last season, that would be bottom eight in League Two. So that pitches them in terms of broadly uh, club size and therefore you would suggest sort of natural uh, ability to generate money and bring in revenue uh, outside of owner funding. They have a good League One squad and in particular some peak age players that must be on pretty good wages. Some of them signed in January, the likes of Jaden Stockley and Jack Marriott up front. So what the hell happens next at Fleetwood Town? It is still completely up in the air, but there has to be a chance that it does not go well. Who will be funding this football club going forward? I have absolutely uh, no idea, but I cannot see how it won't have an impact on the football team, even though, George, if this didn't exist and if everything was absolutely fine at board level with Fleetwood, we'd probably be pretty positive about Fleetwood because they were pretty impressive last season, got a lot better under Scott Brown than they had been the season before and actually finished pretty strongly as well and have quite a nice squad with a nice mix of players. Yeah, I, I think you and I are coming at this in slightly different ways where I totally agree with you that the long-term future of Fleetwood Town doesn't look particularly good, especially when you consider that of all, you know, if you, if you take all EFL clubs and you look at income via match day revenue and ticket sales in comparison to money spent, then the one team that don't need their owner locked up for 13 years is Fleetwood Town. Um, the club have been very keen to stress in all of their communication with fans and, and you know the outside world with, with, with statements is that you know none of the allegations are in relation to Fleetwood. However, it seems very hard to imagine this won't have a negative impact in time. My view of this season, though, is that right now they have, as you say, a pretty good squad. They've made a couple of additions before the um, issues in Danny Mayer and Ryan Broom, both of which I think are probably improve what they already had in those roles. Um, in January, they uh, strengthened with the additions of Jack Marriott and Jaden Stockley, who both did good things. And maybe the most telling argument in my mind that things might be okay this season at Fleetwood is that they have turned down bids, and quite a big bid, I think, from Oxford for Jack Marriott uh, a month or so ago, which in itself, um, you know, reportedly was around, I mean, I, I can't verify the figures, but it was reportedly around £400,000 if you depend, the, if you if you believe the um, the source that, that, you know, went with the story. But the fact that Fleetwood Town feel like they're in a position to, to reject advances for, for players at the age of 28 like that makes me think there must be some confidence at the club that they are in an okay position, or at least maybe they think they won't be able to put that club back, that money back into the club. Who knows? It's all speculation at this point. But... You know, if they don't have to sell players, if there isn't a fire sale now, unless there's a deduction, I think there's enough in the squad and the side without any indication now that Brown is going to walk away or that players are in, you know, that there's any breach of contract or whatever. You know, they should have enough to to stay out of the bottom four. Okay, now we really can uh, move forward with a little more positivity. Uh, George, we have precisely zero of the four promoted teams from League Two going straight back down. Let's start with one of them, Carlisle United in 19th. They came up through the playoffs in League Two last season. Yeah, they did. And, 
you know, they were one of those big data outliers early in the campaign where they were coming 15th or 14th at the end of September. And yet every single metric had them as a team who were likely to catch fire at some point and catch fire they did. You know, they had an incredible um, rest of the season over the whole course of the campaign in League Two. They were fourth for non-penalty XG ratio. I think Paul Simpson is just a bit of a genius, to be honest. Somehow, given the two jobs he's done over a span of two decades at Carlisle, I just just don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. You know, I've said it before, the fact that he spent time working in England youth groups in between those those tenures um, shows to me that he is, although, you know, the A.D. Boothroyd reign might um, put pay to this theory, but, you know, it shows that there is an innovator in there and you look at the football that they play and the way that he can instigate um, improvement from certain players uh, over a short period of time is what you look for in a League 2 manager. I also like the business they've done because rather than going out and getting a whole new side, it's mainly been getting the band back together. Um, Barkley, Robinson, McCalman and, and Finn back all spent last season on loan at Carlisle and have all been brought back either on loan or on permanence, which is good business. And, you know, I think Carlisle were fully deserving of their place, of their promotion last season. I think they were one of the best teams in League One, sorry, in League Two. And normally that translates into being a pretty good League One side. So as long as Simpson is there, which I can't really see why he'd have any desire not to be. Um, after a difficult early summer where, you know, he was very open about struggling to bring players in. Um, I think there's no reason why, you know, it's a bit like what I said about Cheltenham. There will come a time probably where Carlisle will have the best parts of last season picked off. But that hasn't happened yet. Mm, lots of rumour swirling around Owen Moxon, but the club standing strong so far. Uh, Stevenage, we got next up. And can I just copy and paste some of what you said about Carlisle United? Stevenage, a very strong League Two team last season with fantastic performance data. They were exceptional at keeping the opposition away from their goal. They found a way to create uh, chances with consistency, whether that was with a rotating cast of strikers that offered a lot of physicality in particular and and were able to fashion chances uh, from counterattacks and from crosses in particular, um, but also from set-piece situations where they scored, I think, 15-plus goals. Carl, Pidge, Pierre Gianni in particular throwing his big meaty dome and everything uh, and heading quite a lot home. So uh, they move up into League One with Steve Evans, who is a man that does not need much introduction to this level, who in general has a pretty incredible record as a manager in the EFL and who is doing what Steve Evans does. And that is a lot of early transfer business, very, very targeted transfer business. Steve Evans knows exactly what sort of players Steve Evans wants for a Steve Evans Stevenage team. And he's gone out and got that. They have lost a fair amount of the core, actually, from last season. Uh, In particular, Gilby and Reeves from midfield. They'll have been disappointed to lose certainly one, if not both of those. Um, Clark, the left back as well. And then up top, Norris and Rose, both of whom offered good physical presence. Now, good news is the new core might be better. Uh, And Evans is is normally pretty good in the transfer market. Uh, They've signed Thompson and Thompson and Thompson. (laughs) That's Louis and Nathan brothers and also Ben Thompson. That's quite fun. Um, they've signed Dan Butler, who I think is, is going to be a great addition at left back. Also Nick Freeman um, and Anderson, the winger, and Alex McDonald as well, who are kind of very shrewd operator at this level. So uh, I'm feeling pretty positive that they will start well because I think Evans' teams generally do. They pre-season well, and I think he's 
a good motivator. I don't think he's going to struggle to motivate this squad. I guess over the course of the season, would I, would I be a bit concerned that they might drop off a little bit like they did last year, that teams might be a little savvier to their style of play and have better plans to counteract it? Yeah, I would be a bit worried about that. Um, will there be enough goals in the team outside of set pieces with March and Reed, List and Roberts up top? Yeah, maybe. And can the goalkeeper position be less of a problem for them? Probably. So defence looks strong. Midfield looks well well stocked. Um, I like it overall. We've got Stevenish staying up and I think probably fairly comfortably as well. Uh, George, next up, Shrewsbury Town. Big old summer of change in Shropshire. Yeah, it's been a bit of a theme over the last year or so that I have been fairly negative around Shrewsbury Town and the reign of, um, of Steve Cottrell whose reign came to an end, much to the amazement of a lot of neutrals looking on from from outwards. Um, and I know that he was incredibly popular with Shrewsbury fans as well. So, yeah, it's a big change. Mickey Moore, who we mentioned earlier in the Cheltenham chat, is the new director of football. I am someone who thinks that, you know, when you've got a manager in Cottrell who wields so much power and has fairly, you know, a, a fairly abrasive uh, manner often with the media and with players and you know it's pretty bullish I think for the most part that you know he runs most sides of, of the football club you know that's certainly my impression of him and, and the way that he manages clubs I think there's a ceiling to that and, and I whilst I completely get that he did a, a good job to get Shrewsbury into mid-table where they were I personally don't think they ever looked like they were going to threaten any any higher than that and I also think that the sound bites that came out of the management of the club around budget and you know basically patting himself on the back when they'd gone out and recruited the likes of Tom Bayliss and Jordan Shipley in the summer was a little bit disingenuous and I actually like what Shrewsbury are doing now where they're looking I think to kind of try and cut their cloth accordingly in Mickey Moore they've got a guy who you know there was nothing in Matt Taylor's reign at Walsall that made me think that he was going to get a league one job next but I think Moore has probably earned himself some trust in the appointment of Mike Duff and, and Wade Elliott who did a good job last season um, and you know, this is a better model, I think, where Taylor is clearly coming in as as, as the head coach with, with more kind of directing all things on the football side of things. They've lost a couple of key players, you know, Pennington and Lee here too, massive standouts for them. And there's a lot unknown that has come in. You know, they've recruited for some interesting areas, a bit from Ireland, a bit from non-league, a bit from kind of reserve teams around the area. I'm not going to pretend to know a great reserve deal about... Reserve teams around the area? Telford? <laughs> no. <laughs> Telford reserves. I, I more mean the, the area of level of football I'm basically right. I'm looking at that Barnsley lad basically <laughs> okay nice um, but it's they brought in Carl Winchester back to the club which I think is, is a nice addition again a bit of experience in the middle of midfield and some quality too Taylor Perry another one who's had a lot of minutes in, in, in the EFR recently who you know I think should add some, some, some bite and we have to remember they've still got Bayless and Shipley there they've still got Dunkley at the back they've still got uh, Bowman if fit to lead the line Udo Back from injury, is he going to stay? redemption arc this year. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. So there, there's still a smattering of, of the decent players there. there. There's no doubt that this is, you know, the first step on a very new path. And it, it might be a case of one step back before taking two steps forward. Um, but I do think the way that Shrewsbury look to be operating now is more aligned with, in my idea, with the way that a club should operate rather than, um, you know, giving one man too much power. Yeah, above them... Northampton Town finished third in League Two last season. They finished really strongly as well. For the second year in a row, Northampton started the season fairly strongly, um, 
very much overperforming their numbers. And then over the course of the season, both in 21-22 and 22-23, just kept getting stronger to the point where when they finished the campaign, they were probably in the best shape um, of the whole season. And I, I quite like that as a general trend rather than starting strong and then other teams kind of working you out and the general effectiveness of your play um, dipping as the season goes on. I kind of mentioned that with Stevenage as a concern. Uh, for Northampton, I think the trend is that they, they generally keep getting stronger. And I think that comes back to a fantastic leadership from the man in the dugout. That's John Brady. Um, I believe that this is a, a club in main part thanks to Brady and how good he's been as a leader that shows itself to be very strong, very together, um, off the field, in the dugout, and that translates onto the pitch as well. This is a team with a clearly with a strong mentality. That's proven over the last two years. It's a, it's a team that's won a lot of football matches in a lot of different ways and have moved up a level, are ready to do so, and haven't lost anything major that would really, really concern me. They've got stronger as a as a squad, I think. Um, they've brought in uh, key loanees from last season. Mark Leonard, in particular, I thought was going to be highly sought after, maybe even by bottom half championship clubs, but certainly top half League One clubs. But instead, he's gone back to uh, Northampton for another stint on loan from Brighton. Kieran Bowie as well. A really interesting um, forward profile. Um, didn't rack up the goals last season, but you have to feel probably did well for the experience and, and may kick on once more. Very highly rated young Scottish player. Tyree Simpson, massive favourite of the pod um, from his loan spell at Swindon's. Had a really uh, frustrating 18 months in which he's not seen the field much due to injury and also sort of transfer shenanigans. Uh, a move to it from Ipswich to Huddersfield. Uh, he now gets a chance to get some minutes under him. And I think certainly as a counter-attacking threat, Simpson is an absolute handful for defenders. And I think they probably will have to play like that. So for them to have an attacking lineup of Pinnock, Hoskins, Apere, Bowie and Simpson, I really like that for transition attacking. You've got to hope that their set-piece quality continues. That's an area they've been very strong. They've also signed Manny Mont and Patrick Bruff, who's a left wing back with really good delivery from the left side. And I think they're well set in terms of, of numbers and profiles in defence and in midfield as well. So um, feeling pretty positive about Northampton. Certainly think they'll take to League One pretty comfortably, as most of the teams that came up last year did. And that's why we've got them sitting fairly pretty in 16th. And above them, Leighton Orient, the team that won League Two last season. I really don't think there's a huge amount uh, in my eyes between Orient and Northampton and even Stevenage and Carlisle, to be quite honest with you. Um, having Orient at the top is not just because they finished top last season, but it's partly because I really believe in Richie Wellens. I think he'll be highly motivated specifically to make this work. And by this, I mean not just winning an amazing promotion with a team as he did at Swindon, but also establishing himself as a manager at League One level, which is something that he struggled to do at Swindon really for reasons out of his control uh, certainly at Oldham for reasons out of his control I think this is a good spot for him to do it and I rate him really highly as a manager um, they've lost a couple of key bits Vigaru and Paul Smith probably two of their best three players last season to be quite honest but I like the way they've gone about replacing them Sol Brin is coming in on loan to play in goal he had a great season on loan at Swindon last season and Dan Adjay I guess is the obvious uh, Paul Smith replacement another goal scoring and tricky wide forward they've also brought in Joe Piggott who if they can get him back to Joe Piggott from two or three years ago should be a good option for them up front I think 
I would be worried about goals with Orient. They weren't an amazing attacking team last season, but with Piggott, Ajay, Sotiriou, Theo Archibald and George Moncur breaking from midfield, that's probably enough of an open play goal threat. And the big question is, can they be as strong defensively? Because if they can, they'll be absolutely fine. Uh, lastly, the addition of Ethan Galbraith is very exciting. The re-addition of Idris El Mazzouni I wrote about as part of our favourite transfers of the summer piece on NTT20.com this week. Very exciting. Uh, I like Orient. I really like Richie Wellens. I think they're going to take to League One like the proverbial. What next, George? Next up is Wigan, who um, come into this season with a eight-point deduction um, but unlike Reading, I think there is some serious cause for optimism around Wigan now because, you know, it's been a really difficult couple of seasons. The more you look back on their title win two years ago on Liam Richardson, the more it kind of feels hard to wrap your head around how it was done uh, and done so successfully because last season they went through Richardson into Colo Torre and then out the other end with Sean Maloney. And Maloney is manager this time around. There were some positive signs about his management uh, at the back end of last season. Uh, Wigan became a lot more solid. Um, there was less of the possession for possession's sake that we saw under Colo Torre. Um, but, you know, they were not a good championship side. And coming into this season with the issues off the pitch and the instability with the old owners, it could have been a massive concern. You know, they, we could have had them down with Reading. But Mike Danson who is a local businessman and Wigan fan, uh, is their new owner. And there is some stability there now. I think the biggest case for, for seeing that things are back on a more progressive and positive pathway at Wigan is the fact that Charlie Hughes, an incredibly highly rated young defender, and Thelo Asgard, a eminently talented, but kind of yet to really show it or prove it regularly, um, wide player or attacking player have both signed long-term contracts at the club and that suggests to me that they are confident that Wigan are back on an upward curve you know we have seen a lot of players leave and walk out the door um, Jack Watmore leaving earlier this week was a, a you know one of the bigger blows because it came so late in the window but actually when you look through the squad there is still a lot of quality there you know whether that is Asgard who we already mentioned the, the quartet of strikers that they've got as well in McGuinness, White, Humphreys and Lang in my mind, that is basically as good as any team is going to possess in terms of depth in League One. You know, you've got the the target man in McGuinness. You've got White, who is, you know, if he's back fit after his serious illness, is a complete forward at the level. Humphreys, who can both drop in and link play, run the channels, but can also be that, um, you know, that proper number nine in the box too, as we've seen in the past. And Callum Lang, who, you know, for me is best playing off the right-hand side as an inside forward, but can play on either flank or through the middle. That is good. The addition as well of James Balaghese is one I'm really excited about. He was on loan at Crawley last season and looks to me to have that combination of athleticism and technical ability that should make him a really good player and a dominant side. Um, Matt Smith in central midfield as well is a tidy addition. Sean Clare adds a bit of versatility, able to play a right back, right side of centre back or in central midfield. Kel Watts rejoins on loan. Now, there's enough here to make them competitive at the very worst and I anticipated I'd have them a lot lower than I do but when you consider the eight point deduction and you know we have them just above Orient would I predict they'll pick up more than eight points more than the, the sides who, rele who were promoted last season from League Two in Orient and Cobblers yeah I think I probably would so that's why we have them mid-table but, but well clear of the relegation zone 
Yeah, above them we got Burton Albion in 13th. They finished 15th last season after about as poor a start as you could possibly have. Uh, the reclamation job that Dino Mamria and his staff and the squad put together was very, very impressive. People were writing them off from September, really, as, as relegation fodder, and they ended up being highly comfortable and basically a sort of top half team, mid table team for the for the most part after Mamria joined. So um plenty to be enthused about, I think, encouraged about heading into this. Um one thing I find difficult with Burton is that they seem to have the most bonkers windows every single window. <laughs> Not just summer windows either, but January as well. The 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 extent of their player turnover, the volume of transfers in and out every window is I mean it's quite exciting. Um but it does mean it does sort of give me pause because it's very I find it very difficult to just assume that all signings will be good overall um, their recruitment's been pretty hit and miss I think if you sign a lot of players the chances are you're going to get some of them right but I do think there's been quite a lot of wastage as well which is surprising because their owner Ben Robinson is is very well he runs things very sensibly but clearly he does you know give the keys to his his manager and does let them buy the players that they want. So lots of lots of turnover again this summer. They've lost McGillivray, they've lost Shaughnessy, they've lost Terry Taylor, they've lost Johnny Smith. All of those are important for different reasons, I would say. But there's plenty to be excited about. In particular, Cole Stockton. Cole the goal. Will be playing for Burn Albion next season, which, uh, considering his form for Morecambe, not last season, very specifically not last season, uh, apart from the last month where he turned it on, uh, but the season before, 21-22. I think Burton fans would be pretty excited for him to recapture that kind of form. Uh, Mason Bennett joins, Jasper Moon joins, loads more, uh, and the squad looks pretty big and with lots of options. I think a motivated Cole Stockton is clearly something to get excited about, and Mamria so far has proven himself to be a good motivator. And I want to flag out Mark Helm as well, who's a former Manchester United youngster, settled into the side last season, I think could kick on again, looks quality. Mark at the helm. Very nice. Uh, We can expect them to have a pretty big set-piece threat, I think, based on the last couple of years. It's always something that they do fairly well. Um, I just think for Mamria, in terms of capping them at, at 13th, rather than going much higher than that. It's just a very difficult motivational scenario, I think, for Mamria. I think coming in where they were, it's not to, you know, take anything away from him, but I do think it's an easy motivational goal to point at such a poor start, to point at survival, and then to use the momentum to kick on. I think when there's a summer in between, it can be easy to lose that momentum, and then you're kind of wondering what to shoot for uh, at this stage. So I... I think it's a tough job for him. and I'm not saying he can't do it, but that was just pause for concern for me. So we're capping Burton at 13th, but um, we certainly don't think they're going to be in bad shape like like they were last season. Next up in 12th is the first of the sides who performed well last season, who I think there is a fair amount of evidence that we can see. There'll be a drop-off in this campaign, and it is the team who lost the playoff final so valiantly at Wembley uh, in Barnsley. Um, I tweeted after that game that I thought if they were able to keep Duff, if they were able to keep key players, then they were the ones to beat in this in the coming season in League One. They have not managed to do any of the above. And the way they've gone about their transfer business makes me really concerned about the state of the club. You know, this time last year, in fairness, you know, all the messages coming out of the club were that this was a it was going to be a season of consolidation and maybe, you know, getting Duff in and him overachieving as he did has lifted expectations too high. But we've also got a bizarre EFL charge of kind um, around ownership issues, the details of which I'm not really too sure on and 
you know what the the possible um repercussions of which i'm not too aware of either so let's not focus on that but there's a few kind of red flags here about Barnsley at the current moment in time uh, Duff has gone to Swansea Mads Anderson has gone to Luton in my mind there's no question at all that those are the two most important players or two most important people in their good season last season um, they've also lost um, Kilo Knees as well uh, over the course of the campaign uh, with Bobby Thomas moving on um, as we know uh, and when you look at the players they brought in they brought in Three players from non-league. Uh, Andy Dallas from Solihull, who had a decent loan at Chesterfield. I think Chesterfield fans are pretty dumbstruck that he's managed to, to secure a move to League One. And then two Woking players uh, in Lapata uh, and Lofthouse. The Lofthouse one is a is a really strange um, signing when you can when you look at their squad and how stat they are at right wing back where he already plays. Where they had Jordan Williams last season, Corey O'Keefe has signed from Forest Green. And yet they've added another addition there too. Now, there are still quality players here, and that's important to point out. Um, they have Herbie Kane in midfield. They have Luca Connell, who signed a new, a new long-term contract, which is massive. Adam Phillips as well, stacked up front with Max Waters having um, signed on a permanent, I think, after his loan last season. Um, yeah, he signed uh, long-term. Talk of Norwood moving out to Wrexham would, would, be, would be a blow. But I, I just think for Neil Collins, who's the new manager, who's replacing uh, Mike Duff, who comes in from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, Mike Duff came with a proven track record in the EFL. With Collins, everything I've heard about him is very positive. He seems to be very data literate. He seems to be very innovative. But I think it's a massive ask for him to to get Barnsley back to you know the playoff berth where they were last season. And I just have some concerns about the general state of the club at the moment. And I know that Barnsley fans or the ones that I've read, at least, uh, are on a similar page. So, yeah, cautious concern, I would say, is the is the feeling at the moment for Barnsley. Not the case for the next team I've got, who are Port Vale, who are in 11th place. Now, Port Vale had a, a pretty poor <clears throat> end to last season. They lost Daryl Clark. Uh, well, I say they lost him. I think they sacked him um, towards the back end of the season. But there is some continuity with Andy Crosby, his assistant manager, taking on the top job. Um, and you know, Flickcroft is still the director of football. But there seems to be a massive change in tact in terms of their recruitment this time around, where we've seen you know, old, trusted allies of Port Vale in recent seasons. David Worrell, who's been such a key uh, attacking source. You know, His delivery from the right-hand side, we know, is, is pretty much unparalleled at the level. Jamie Proctor, who, you know, target man, not particularly mobile, in and out of the side a lot. Um, they've both gone. James Wilson, I think, was a blow that they lost him. He left at the end of his contract, but he is currently training with Port Vale. So I do wonder if there's a chance that he's kind of gone to find out if the grass is greener and decide that actually, no, it isn't, and he might return. Um, you know, the one big loss is clearly Will Forrester, who is a you know a top centre-back for the level who will only improve and has moved on to, to Bolton. But I do like the players they've brought in. You know, it is, it's a new profile for, for Port Vale. A couple of... You know, decent, solid, I would say, signings in Connor Ripley, who's a top shot stopper for the league. Connor Grant, who's played a, a really big part in Plymouth over the last couple of seasons. Even Jason Lowe at Salford, we know, will add some muscle in midfield. But then a smattering of kind of young talent and exuberance. You've got uh, Tom Sang coming in from Cardiff. Chislett, who you mentioned in the League 2 pod, who I, I kind of know what you mean, but I do think he offers something in the final third that maybe Port Vale have been lacking. There is a clear lack of goal scorer in the side. You know, Ellis Harrison is a player that I like a lot. I think he's best suited in, in my eyes by playing in a front two and, and kind of being the more 
um, you know, the, the hold-up player basically more than the goal scorer. Um, but I think there's a lot to like in the squad as it is at the moment. I think there's some some continuity. They're one of the few teams I think you can look at and think, yeah, I can see clear progress in what's going on there. And that's why we've got them in 11th. Above them, in 10th, Wickham Wanderers finished ninth last season. A big moment in the middle of the campaign, the end of the Ainsworth era at Wickham. The most successful era of the club's history. Took them to the highest league they've ever been in their history with the season in the championship. And also in League One were basically a lock to always be there or thereabouts in the playoff picture. Uh, But Ainsworth left for QPR and club legend Matt Bloomfield, who spent... Many, 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 many years at the club as a player and was certainly spending a lot of the latter part of his playing days um, getting ready for the transition to be a manager. So after a couple of months at Colu, he was the obvious man to replace Ainsworth. And I, I wonder if the idea was that he would sort of keep the Ainsworth era alive and then slowly put the Bloomfield imprint on it. I mean, it, when you frame it like that, it's it's something that's both understandable and it certainly was when it happened. But now we sit here and we still don't really know how things are going to go under Matt Bloomfield. And we still don't really know how possible it is for any manager, frankly, let alone a, a very inexperienced one, to follow in Ainsworth's footsteps, given his highly specific management and squad building of this football club over the years. Squad building is a good place to start because very positive about it, really. They've lost a couple of uh, key players. Lewis Wing, probably the main one. Uh, and then players like Jordan Abita, midfielders like Gape, Thompson, Freeman, all those guys. I think they've done pretty well in how they've replaced players. Uh, Kane Vincent Young, Richard Keogh, Joe Lowe. Uh, the big one, Luke Leahy, probably the most eye-catching signing after a fantastic two um, back-to-back campaigns with Shrews. Uh, and then some impressive loanees. Well, certainly Dale Taylor on loan from Nottingham Forest. He was on loan at Burton last season and I thought he looked absolute quality. So I think for Wickham to be able to get him to play up top, to give them, uh, to add goal threat on top of, of Vokes and Hanlon, McCleary, who have all been a little bit hit and miss over the last 12 months or so, I think that's a really good addition. Then you've got young Brecken, who comes from Manchester City. High hopes for him. Uh, boys on loan from Sheffield United uh, as well. I don't really have too many concerns about Wickham. I think it's probably the strongest squad they've ever had, in fact. Um, the only concern or, or query, I guess, is whether Matt Bloomfield can find a stamp on this team and turn it into a team that has good goal threat and also solid defensive record. Um, certainly, I think, got a good enough squad to do so. So I think the 10th uh, placed prediction probably reflects that if things go well under Bloomfield, I think they could certainly be a couple of places higher challenging for the playoffs. Uh, at the same time, if he finds it difficult to get his feet under the table and really get a grip on things, then I certainly think mid-table is, is the probable spot for Wickham, the probable chunk, if you like. Uh, above them got Lincoln City. Now, we got Lincoln City quite wrong last year. 24th. Yeah, we put them bottom of the 1-24s. to We're a little concerned about uh, the way that the squad looked and the fact that it was a, a rookie manager in Mark Kennedy taking over it. However, they were impressive last season. Uh, they finished 11th in the end. Um, they massively outperformed their underlying numbers. Their record against top 10 teams, I think is a good sign, even understanding that some of those results owed a lot to good goalkeeping, you know, last-ditch defending and a, and a bit of luck as well. They only lost four of 20 against top 10 teams. And I think that's just the sort of thing that you can use as signal that this is a team that are interesting. And certainly when you look at their squad, 
the sheer number of players between 19 years old and 25 years old that I think have potential to kick on individually and therefore collectively to raise the floor of the team is really, really exciting. Um, certainly the likes of uh, Ethan Erhon, who joined in January. Sorry. Looks brilliant. Say it again. His mate alongside him this season will be Al- Ali Smith, who signs from Sutton. Uh, they've also brought in Tyler Walker and Rico Hackett to try and, uh, and sort of generate a little bit more going forward, which was somewhere that they struggled last season. I personally have high hopes for Tyler Walker. I know that he hasn't had the, the best last few years, but I, I believe that he, uh, in the right place, could start to thrive again. So it's a team whose off-field approach I really like. I think their recruitment has been very, very creative and largely excellent over the last um, two years or so. Um, I like what they've done for the most part this summer to replace players like Regan Poole and, and Sanders. And overall, I, I just think it's a squad that gives Kennedy a lot to work with all across the pitch and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with it. Um, I do think there's plenty of question marks uh, but personally I believe in the development path of Lincoln City so uh, I'm going to I'm going to get on board you know a year late I'm going to be getting on board uh, Lincoln we've got finishing ninth in League One. Uh, above them Bristol Rovers. Yeah I think Bristol Rovers are one of the sides who could um, capitalise on a weak renewal in League One. Joey Barton's done it before. Um, if you think back to, was it COVID year? I think it was. Um, so 1920, where Joey Barton's Fleetwood side were beaten in the semi-finals of the playoffs by Wickham. And if you think that, the four teams that were in those playoffs were Oxford, Fleetwood, Wickham and Pompey. So the only team that have, you know, none of those teams have really threatened going up since Wickham actually went up through those. And the recruitment, I think, has been really strong. You know, Luke Thomas played a big part in their promotion out of League Two a couple of seasons ago. He comes back in on a free transfer, so Rovers fans know exactly what they're going to get from him. Um, James Wilson played a big part in Argyle's uh, league win last season too. Uh, and a couple of, of loanies, uh, a couple of guys from Brentford have come in uh, as well. So, And then George Friend, you know, we know that Joey Barton likes to have some... Um, allies in their mid-30s <laughs> and and in, in friend he's certainly got a friend here so yeah I think there's reason to be positive clearly the fact that um, Aaron Collins is still at the club you know, he was league one player of the season last season loads of goals loads of assists the fact that he's still there is a big positive in Marcus and Loft they've got two kind of physical strikers who can play through the middle Scott Sinclair improved as, as the season went on and proved you know showed himself to be a big asset towards the back end of the campaign um, they retain their midfield options as they were um, again similar to Port Vale where they haven't really lost anything that was the good part of where they were previously but I think they've made additions in good areas and should be good to watch as well Barton yeah well, is like, a lot of things and one thing is he seems to have he seems to be obsessed with having an uber attacking mindset and that's good to watch I'm pretty sure we're going to see with them um, we're going to see basically Thomas Sinclair Brown Collins and Marquis on the pitch at the same time mm. for a fair bit which is fun pretty mad yeah um, they did concede over 70 goals last season, no, which is the the other side of the coin. But then you look at again, like you know, Friend and Wilson coming in may help that. I would I I would just say now, like if there was going to be a team who go from, well, I say that there's another one coming up, but like a, a team without like a, a massive expectation, widely of, of a big improvement, who could suddenly just shock everyone and come somewhere towards the top end of the table. I think Gas would be the ones I choose at this stage. There you go. 
Next up, above them... Maybe now Bristol Rovers fans will stop asking why I hate them. Above them, <laughs> a posh team that made the playoffs Oxford. last season. <laughs> but we've got them just missing out this time. Why, Peterborough United? Why? I mean, this is very hard to wrap your head around. Very hard. Because there have been, there's been a lot of talk about some financial issues at Peterborough um, over the last year or so. And I, for one, was pretty concerned that that uh, playoff defeat might spell some difficulty. And then, you know, you saw the, the press release come out and the list of players that were transfer listed suggested they needed to move players on, albeit under the guise that this is club policy that we list any player who is within a a year of their contract being out. And they have lost key players. You know, you look at Jack Taylor, who's moved on to Ipswich, Joe Ward, who's gone to Derby. Even Nathan Thompson, who I know, you know, may have made the the step, well, sideways at best, uh, to to Stevenage. He played a lot of minutes over the last couple of seasons and has been a big player. And Frankie Kent, of course, is a massive uh, centre-back for them in the middle of the park. You've also got to anticipate that Ronnie Edwards will leave at some point over the next month, although we've been saying that every window for the last two years. And um, all the messaging from the club seems to be that Johnson Clark Harris will leave as well at some point in the next month, um, with the captaincy being taken off him and given to Efren Mason Clark for the upcoming season. So that's the negativity. Having said that, there are, I think, quite a lot of reasons to be positive. The purchase of Archie Collins from Exeter suggests that the financial situation can't be that bad if they're going to go out and spend, as Dara McAntony says, a high six-figure fee on a player um, who is 23 and you know fits the profile of the kind of posh teams we're used to seeing. In Critchlow, a ball-playing centre-back who kind of fits the way that, that they generally like to play. In Darren Ferguson, they've got a manager who we know is at the very worst solid. Um, and when you know he gets his teeth into a side, can turn them into a team that can get promoted out of League One. There's enough here to make me think there's no reason why this should be you know, a, a total a season, a kind of a, a desperation season where they massively drop off. I've seen posh fans saying that they anticipate a mid-table finish, but given everything that we've said about the league looking a lot weaker, I don't think it would take much for this posh, for this posh team to still be one of the better teams in the, in the division and challenge for, for promotion this yeah. season. God, I can't wait to watch Efron Mason-Clark be one of the best players in the league. And Kwame. Mm. It's going to be fascinating to watch, isn't it? Because of the doubling down of, of basically young talent, um, not just the ones that they've signed over the last few years, but also um, Dara constantly name dropping a lot of their uh, academy graduates that he expects to play a big role. Uh, not that many of them outside of Harrison Burroughs have actually broken into the team over the last few years, but the likes of Ricky Jade Jones and Fernandez and various others, we'd love to see a bit more of them. Um, that's for sure. Interesting, really interesting, Peterborough, I think. Um, yeah, intrigued, found them difficult. We got them just outside the playoffs, uh, inside them. Ring that bell, it's Portsmouth. Portsmouth we got making the playoffs, which they did not do last season, finishing eighth. John Massinho is in the dugout. He's been working closely with director of football, Rich Hughes, who joined after the season started uh, last, last season. So it's their first major window together. And it's fair to say they're making the most of it. A 12 signings for Portsmouth have caught a lot of people's eyes. I do think there's something to be said for sort of general EFL transfer discourse, uh, particularly when it comes to pre-season predictions. I personally believe that um, people get sometimes a little blinded by the volume of transfers that a team makes, and particularly when they are made earlier in the window. Um, I think people sometimes 
overrate those clubs just because they've made lots of shiny new signings. However, you cannot say that Pompey didn't need this. You cannot say they didn't need a refreshing of the squad and to go into this season um, with just a general injection of new blood um, so as to get the fan base on side, which is desperately what the club needs to succeed at this level after a few years uh, where the fans have been very, very underwhelmed with the product on the field. Um, And that's what they've done. Uh, I'm not going to run through the signings, but I would say individually, I don't think any of the, the Pompey signings are signings that make me unbelievably excited they're not any of them in the top you know three percent of total EFL signings this summer in my opinion but it's a cumulative thing isn't it it's a squad game and now when you look at the Portsmouth squad as a whole to me it looks like they have options all over they have different profile of players in different areas of the pitch which would allow Mussinho to play uh, hopefully with a nice all-round style of play that's what they need and I think they've got bodies close to Colby Bishop who can offer more of a, of a goal threat, who can lessen the burden on his uh, shoulders when it comes to goal scoring. The likes of Gavin White and Anthony Scully, they've both had good times. They've both had tough times. It's up to Moussinho now to get the best out of them. That is generally my, my verdict on Portsmouth. It's over to you now, Moose. He's an unbelievably popular person within the game because he is... Uh, a great human being, very, very smart, very thoughtful. Everyone loves him. Every club he ever played for, anyone that's ever met him loves John Moutinho, wants him to do well and thinks that he will do well. But unfortunately, you have to then walk the walk. He was known for set-piece innovation at Oxford, for example. So he's shown um, flashes of of sort of quality management, um, but there's work to do. And it's a club with very, very high expectations. Overall, I wouldn't have any problem with people having Pompey outside the playoffs and saying, I don't yet know how good this manager is. I would have no problem with that. Personally, because I want to feel something, I'm going to put faith in Messino. I'm going to put a lot of faith in Rich Hughes, who I believe to be a quality operator. And in a weaker division, therefore, I'm going to get behind Pompey, finally making the top six. But that's where we've got them. Sixth place, George. And above them, the team that finished 10th last season. Yeah, Charlton Athletic, um, who I think have brought... If if the summer recruitment was done on buying the best possible six-a-side team, I think they would win because they'd have Harry Eisted in goal, Alfie Jones and Tayo Eden at the back, Panuche Kamara and Terry Taylor in midfield, and Alfie May up front. What a lovely, well-balanced, brilliant, proven League One side that is. And I think that's the key. You know, we talk about Pompey just then, and yes, Portsmouth brought in a lot of kind of well, good you know, good players, players who performed well at League One level before. You know, in Eisted, you've got a keeper who came in at Barnsley last season, had a pretty revolutionary impact on them. And Arthur Jones, a, a centre-back with massive potential and quality. And Panuche Kamara, you know, a box-to-box midfielder who we think when he's at his best is as good as you can get in the division. Terry Taylor, a you know, was on our EFL 21 under 21 in January uh, with huge potential going forward. Alfie May scored over 20 goals in the last two seasons at Cheltenham. You know, there's a lot to like here. These are players who would have been on the list of many fans uh, going into the campaign in, in League One. Um, and they still retain players, you know, Scott Fraser and Jack Payne remain there. Uh, Mars Lieburn is still at the club. He's currently injured, which you think is probably putting off potential suitors. Um, and there's a smattering of, of really talented, homegrown young talent as well to provide the, the depth in the squad. The only question mark, I guess, is, is the manager in Dean Holden, where... You know, we we know with Dean that there is he's very highly thought of within the game. He speaks very very well, really well liked. 
um, at Bristol City, he came in after Lee Johnson at quite a strange time and for whatever reason it didn't work and you look at what happened in Bristol City after that and maybe you know the job he was doing wasn't as bad as we necessarily thought. He came in at Charlton last season midway through the season and I was immediately pretty concerned with what I saw but as the season went on things got better and they, they finished the season okay. You know, This is where we're going to find out how good Holden really is because the squad is clearly good enough to compete. Um, it's up to him to, to to make sure that they do. Otherwise, you know, given that the you know the the, the takeover went through over the summer, um, and the ambition that's being shown in terms of the players that are being brought in, if Holden ends up being the weak link, then I think they'll they'll look to make that change. But um, but if not, then you know this could be. You know, th- I think this is the first team we're talking about where, if the manager can get it right, this is a a side capable of challenging for the for the title. Cannot wait to see Panuche Kamara stretching those legs and gobbling up possession, carrying the ball forward and doing some good things in the final third as well. It's going to be so good to have him back after that injury. Uh, Above Charlton, something I'm pretty passionate about is Blackpool when Neil Critchley is their manager. I think that's fair to say. What I'd like to uh, offer to Blackpool fans, and I'll be doing it myself, uh, is to use the men in black neuralizer pen that wipes your memory and let's just take out should we take out the last 13 months let's just wipe all that out let's get rid of those memories of neil critchley leaving to help steven gerard at uh, (laughs) aston villa let's wipe the memories of michael appleton let's wipe the memories of mick mccarthy let's just wipe all that out and let's get back to happy memories of Neil Critchley leading Blackpool, not only out of League One into the Championship via the playoffs after a second half of the season for the ages in 2021, but then establishing themselves as a highly competitive Championship club in their first season under Critchley. They're now back in League One. We don't need to go over the reasons for it. I hope so much that all of that stuff, all of the memories of last season, all of the memories of Critchley leaving for a supposedly better job and then being back in his post within 12 months, all of the emotional side of that sort of stuff hopefully is gone. Hopefully we've dealt with that, we've got past that and Critchley can get to work without any sort of lingering hangovers or bad feelings because I think pretty clearly what we're going to see from Critchley's Blackpool. I think they're going to be so good out of possession because that's where I think he absolutely excels as a manager. Um, I think if you look at their uh, options in defence, they absolutely fit the eye when it comes to a Critchley back four or five. He's been very flexible on that. Particularly when you look at their midfielders, wow, I think their midfield is going to be possibly the best in the division. Norburn, excellent pickup. I think Sonny Carey may have a proper breakout season. I think he could be an absolute dynamite attacking midfielder at this level and and really, really catch the eye. Um, Albie Morgan's joined. I think Kyle Joseph is a decent replacement for Jerry Yates. Of course, you're going to miss someone like Yates, who's been such a big player for them for three seasons now. But I do think that sort of profile, which is a physical, energetic, someone that will press and run the channels, but it's also got a bit of penalty box presence as well. I think Kyle Joseph can, all being well, fill those shoes to a certain extent. Now, I would want to see, personally, another like physical number nine, like a someone that you can just fix at the top of the pitch and have a lot of players playing off him. 
uh, and maybe a few more wide forward players. But overall, I'm really, really positive because I'm convinced that Critchley can get a handle on this team, that they'll be basically the best team in the league out of possession. And hopefully from that, the goals will come as well. Maybe the truffle pig Shane Lavery can get back into goal-scoring form. I know he's notched a few in pre-season. Blackpool, we got fourth. Right. Come at me, accusations of bias, please. Mm. It's Oxford United in third. And often when um, we have Oxford high in our 124s, you and I both agree that maybe you should do it because, you know, we can't be bothered for people to get in touch. There. I'd love to have done this bit. I'd, I want to talk about Oxford United finishing third, but we've decided that you should do it. Yeah, I mean, last season was a total aberration. Um that culminated in Carl Robinson's long reign and long and, and mainly successful reign at the club coming to an end. Uh, it looked a couple of times as my, like it might end in promotion. You know, there was the, the Wembley defeat um, during lockdown to, to Wickham. Uh, another playoff campaign the season after, beaten by the then promoted uh, Neil Critchley's Blackpool. But for a number of reasons, um, things went very wrong last season. And... You know, there's not a lot you can criticise the current ownership group at Oxford for, but I think, um, and I'm sure Carl would probably agree as well, uh, it, it just went on too long and things got very, very toxic at the club. Liam Manning has taken over and Liam Manning is, I think, a very smart bit of recruitment where six months before appointing him as manager, he was being seen by us, by, by basically most people within the game as being possibly one of the most exciting managers within English football, certainly in the EFL at the time. And a couple of bad months at MK Dons and suddenly he was gone. Um, I think the, the squad issues at MK Dons, the poor recruitment was mainly to blame. Again, the underlying numbers during his reign weren't actually that bad. But, you know, losing Harry Darling, losing Scott Twine and not really replacing them with the requisite quality was always going to cause a big drop off. And, you know, they changed manager after um, bringing Mark Jackson, which couldn't really do anything to stop their relegation into League Two. Uh, Manning has come in and been a, a breath of fresh air at the club in terms of the way he talks about the game. And with recruitment as well, with Ed Waldron, who's the new head of recruitment, and Le Manning bringing in a host of really impressive new signings. Um, there was a, a real lack of creativity at Oxford last season where it didn't matter who was playing up front, Taylor, Joseph, whoever it was, there was just a real inability to um, get the ball into goal-scoring positions regularly. And that was immediately remedied by going and getting Ruben Rodriguez from Notts County, who you know, is, I think, deserves some credit for the ridiculous goal haul of Macaulay Langstaff last season, double figures for goals and assists in a very, very good Notts County side. And Josh McEachran, um in a, a deeper midfield role, again, a ball player, someone who can progress the ball quickly out from deep areas into the attacking players. I'm anticipating a big season for Tyler Goodrum, who at the moment looks to be staying at the club. I think he is destined to be, at the very least, a championship player in, in not very long. Um, James Beadle comes in from uh, on loan from Brighton, replacing Simon Easterwood, which has been a, a quite a long time coming. When you consider that Oxford last season had the um, second lowest expected goals against from open play in the whole league, conceding a lot of long shots. Um, you know, I think having a new keeper who's maybe a bit more agile could be a help. Again, this a big part of this is because the league is pretty weak, and I think if. Manning can get Oxford to a level similar to where they were in those playoff campaigns, then a third or fourth place finish finish should be um, fairly easy to to achieve. I think Mark Harris is a an interesting signing up front. I think they're going to press incredibly energetically and high at the front end of the pitch. And in what looks like a poor league, I'd be very, very surprised if, if last season wasn't a, a blot and Oxford go back to being, you know, with a Let's be clear. I mean, they will have a this squad will be a top six budget squad, 
um, and they should perform uh, as they should do. That leads us into the top two. Automatic promotion will be achieved, we think, by Derby County. We've got them in second spot. Paul Warren, been there and done it. How many promotions now from League One? I've, I've genuinely lost count. Is it two or three? I, I can't remember. But very recent history of promotion with Rotherham in 21-22. Derby last season. Uh, I'm, I'm still a little bit perplexed as to how they missed out on the playoffs entirely. So are they. They weren't a million miles off it, but they just drifted a bit towards the end of the season. And that has to be a bit of a concern because lowering standards in the last quarter of the season is probably the only negative trend that is starting to emerge from Paul Warren's career so far. Because let's be very, very clear. Paul Warren and his assistant, Richie Barker, have built some brilliant League One teams. And Derby last season were a strong League One team as well. They were very good going forward. Uh, they probably didn't quite have the finishing touch on on quite a lot of occasions. Uh, and they were pretty solid defensively as well. And I think now the squad just looks a little bit more settled. You may remember that, that last summer Derby were coming out the back of a uh, basically an existential threat and a, and a new ownership. Things look a little bit more settled now. And you're looking at a very nice, strong-looking starting eleven for sure. They've got good goalkeeping options. A back three, you'd think, of Curtis Nelson, Sonny Bradley and Aaron Cashin. Uh, wing-backs on the right, either uh, Joe Ward or Kane Wilson, who have both signed this summer, or maybe Callum Elder on the left, who also signed this summer. A midfield of Bird, Harahan and Sibley looks excellent. And then, really, you can pick two of four up top at the moment between James Collins, Connor Washington, who's a summer addition, uh, Tom Barkhazen and Nathaniel Mendes-Lang, probably offering more of a wide forward threat, um, but a lot of pace there and a, a, a bit of experience or a lot of experience as well. And, and maybe experience can be flipped a little, George, and discussed as being uh, quite an old squad. And maybe the fact that it's a relatively old squad could be a concern given um, Paul Warren's Rotherham side certainly were incredibly energetic out of possession with a very high press. So there are, I think, a couple of legitimate concerns, but I think despite knowing them and feeling them, and despite this being quite do or die, I think, for Warren, having built this squad and with the expectation and therefore some pressure on him, I still think having taken all of that into account, we still felt like Derby looked incredibly strong for this league this season. Yeah, exactly. And and I think we are, <clears throat> you know, we can judge sitting here what we think a Paul Warren squad should look like, but I'm pretty sure Paul Warren knows exactly what he wants to get out of his players. You know, he's worked with Washington before. It's a signing I wouldn't necessarily have made myself, but um, he has a very, very clear idea of the way that he wants to play. And yeah, I think... Um, I think it's hard to see why there would be such a big drop-off in terms of, of what is needed. You know, again, I think if Derby maintained their performance level from last season, they would progress into the top four. Um, I think Warren is a manager who will benefit from having a pre-season with his players. We, we know they'll be incredibly fit. I think Kane Wilson is such an exciting signing, a player that I cannot wait to see up that right-hand side for Derby. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they are the most likely team to win the league at this stage. They're also a side that you know that if Warren doesn't, produce the goods early on in the campaign they'll probably um, make the change and bring in someone who will so yeah I'm having been a little bit concerned for them before sitting down and doing my research and all putting this into an order 
I think it would have to be a really poor campaign for them not to to finish right up towards the top end of the table. Wow. Okay. And the only team above them, George, finished fifth last season in League One, lost in the playoff semi-finals to Barnsley. It's inevitable that Bolton were going to be top of the one to twenty fours. Progress year on year for mm. Bolton. They are one of the most progressive clubs in the EFL and I mean that in, a, in a multiple different ways both the way that they operate but also just that every year you know they're going to take another step up they're you know it's not ideal that the two players that were maybe the most important from the last season um, were loanees and that one of them is now <laughs> worth 18 million pounds which you think in league one for a keeper is, is probably quite a good keeper you know J- James Trafford had the best goals prevented rate in the league last season he's moved to Burnley where I think he's going to be number one in the Premier League next season so Big gloves to fill. But in Nathan Baxter, I think they've gone out and brought in a keeper on a permanent deal who could easily match those kind of numbers this season. We know that he is a very, very good shot stopper and um, a really smart signing from them. Uh, Connor Bradley is probably a harder one to replace. They've done so with Josh Dacus-Cogley, who um, was a standout right wing back when we did our our mid-season teams of the season. I think he was in both of ours in League Two last season at Tranmere. He doesn't necessarily have the the star quality or the goal scoring threat that Bradley had, but certainly is a permanent signing, someone who I think stepping up into a better team uh, will really improve for that and could be a bit of a standout player for them. They've retained players otherwise, you know, they haven't lost anyone particularly important. Um, and in Ever, they've got a manager who, you know, I personally was actually really downbeat on what we saw in the second half of last season. I thought their performances got worse, the numbers got worse. They kind of edged their way through games in order to get to the, the playoffs where they, you know, they were second best against Barnsley over both legs. Um, but we know that in Everett, he's someone who has won a promotion with Barrow from the National League, won a promotion with Bolton from League, from League Two. So he's perfectly capable of, you know, when he's got one of the best groups of players in the league, of turning that into a, into a promotion-winning side. And right now, I see no reason why they won't progress one further and go and win this league. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I was also surprised and disappointed that as the season went on particularly going forward I felt like they became more one-dimensional and teams found it easier to defend against them that is a small red flag but exactly the same as you overall I believe that Everett can overcome that and I believe that their summer business helps with that in particular Carlos Mendes Gomez Mm. very excited to see him um at this level and hopefully in a, in a team and with a manager that can get the best out of him. I think once Dapo Afalayan left, having that 1v1 quality, that person that can, can beat their man and help uh, sort of make a set defence collapse, that's what you need really when you're going to play the way that Bolton uh, play with such heavy onus on possession. And I think with Mendes Gomez and to a, a slightly different extent, Lundulu, uh, if he can kick on again, they should have provided that. So... Um, yeah, we're backing constant progression. And if that is going to be the case, that's going to mean Bolton are promoted. We've got them winning League One this season. Yeah, looking at the title odds, we have second favourites as the winner here. Bolton 6-1, to one, uh, Derby are 4-1 to one to win the league. Um, Oxford, who had in third, are 16-1. to one. And looking at promotion, uh, Bolton are 11-4. Uh, third favourites, really, Bar- Barnsley are shorter. Uh, Derby, 6-4. to four. Um, And looking, finally, in the top six finish, uh, Pompey, 11-10. Um, we've got Blackpool, 6-4. to four. Uh, Charlton, 7-4. And Oxford, 2-1. to one. Okay, that's it for League One. Make sure that you check out the Championship and League Two 1-24 to podcast. They're on the same feed where you found this one. Thanks to Betfair for their support. Heading into a third year 
with Betfair as sponsors of Not The Top 20 podcast. They allow us to continue doing our best to provide the sort of coverage that we think the EFL merits. Uh, So a huge thank you. The pod will continue every Monday, every Thursday, from the moment the season starts to the moment it finishes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, do us a favour and support our newest venture, which is written content. The EFL newsletter by NTT20 is going to be a good addition to your life, we reckon. Check it out for yourself. Head to ntt20.com, stick your email in the box and sign up to the newsletter. You can be a free subscriber or... Go the whole hog and be a paid subscriber. Thanks very much for listening and go well.